ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of Esports Boom, your weekly esports business podcast. My name is Maurice Eisenman, and this will be the first ever podcast outside of New York. We're on the road uh, this week. We're in Dallas, uh, where I happen to be for business and to visit some family. And when when we're here, uh, it is interest. It is obviously you know, it wouldn't wouldn't be a, a good trip without you know visiting and talking with some of the people that are creating you know real Texas environment in, in esports and are really building the industry here. And I'm very happy to have uh, Christy Apollonio, um, the vice president of Triggerfish Partnerships, on the podcast. Chris, how are you? I'm great, Maurice. Thanks for having me. Excited uh, to have you down here in Texas and. Um, excited to have you out to the Infinity Sports and Entertainment facility here. Yeah, just had a tour of the facility, and you know, I'm, I'm, I was just smiling the whole time because it, it is amazing to see um, really something being built here, really something that can 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 uh, help the help every facet of the industry grow. I mean, we, we saw performance center, the content studio, the actual workplace. It's it's really beautiful and. And having visited a few of these kind of, you know, kind of multifaceted workplaces in esports uh, and headquarters, uh, this this really tops it all. Uh, so very happy to have you on. But let's let's go right into the story. So what what's funny is with with all these stories, a lot of big stories came out this week, um, mm-hmm. and most of them touch Infinite Esports in some capacity. Uh, so couldn't have been better timing. Yeah. So the first story is. The fact that we see changes in the EU LCS uh, system starting 2019. So a lot of people have expected this, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's the first time we're seeing this. So the league will uh, remove relegation uh, and partnership agreements for teams will last for an unknown time. Previously was reported for three times for three years. Uh, but now they're saying it's it's for a longer time. The only condition being uh, removal uh, based on poor performance or probably disciplinary issues. Um, Riot Games will begin accepting applications um, this week. A league source said uh, buying prices will be uh, about $9.93 million for current teams in the league, $10.13 million for teams who wish to enter the league. Um, So the players will get 35% of the revenue pool, which will help fund part of their salaries. Um, Excess will be distributed among the players. Uh, 32.5% will be used by Riot, uh, and the remaining 32.5% will be given to the teams. So we're really seeing a franchise model and revenue share finally coming to the EU LCS. Um, so knowing that Infinite obviously has Optic, mm-hmm. who is uh, part of the NALCS, you know, what is your take of, of this kind of, uh, not a direct copy, right. but uh, a system that's very similar coming to Europe? Yeah, I think it's something that's, been long awaited for uh, for prospective investors as well as for teams. Um, you look at the the fight to avoid relegation that's happened the past few years, and what has unfortunately happened in in EU LCS with teams like Schalke and others, where they've gotten involved with uh, the LCS program, thinking that you know this is something we can last for you know a long time and be a considerable partner in, and then. Unfortunately, they have a bad a bad split or a bad uh, season, and then they're out of the LCS, and that investment dollar um, doesn't necessarily go away, but it's definitely their exposure is is lessened considerably. So I think this presents a, a unique opportunity for structure in the EU system. 
um, and with price points you know somewhat similar to what we saw for NALCS, if I uh, recall properly. Yeah, it's, it's it's very similar. One of the things we saw um, was this year because the NALCS is a franchise system, which obviously brought in uh, kind of a, a better structure for revenue generation for teams. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of good players from the EU and from Asia move to the US basically because the salaries could be afforded. So uh, from a competitive position, you know, for the average uh, League of Legends fan, this is obviously great news because now we can really get competitive regions uh, mm-hmm. all around. But a big issue obviously is the la- the, the language barrier. Yeah. Um, so knowing that, you know, first of all, you know, how do you think that will affect it? And secondly, um, what type of, of whether it's investors or, or entrance into the EULCS would you like to see? Mm-hmm. Well, to go off the language thing, I, I think I remember reading somewhere that there were rumors that there could be four separate divisions um, centered around certain countries. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case. It didn't seem like it from this article, but that's one way they could get around it. I think, um, you know, as far as viewership, they can set up different channels based upon you know certain casters and mm-hmm. certain languages. Team-wise, I think the language barrier has always been an issue when you look at the international focus uh, and imports in the NALCS as well as in other regions where they kind of lean on one certain language, maybe English, to, uh, to communicate. How about from a, a partnership perspective? So let's say you mm-hmm. are one of these teams and you're selling it. Um, if you're in the NALCS, it's a much easier sell because you're representing a whole country. Um, and you can even say the English speaking world. Uh, however, when you're, let's say a Spanish team, let's say you're G2, mm-hmm. um, it becomes a, lo- a bit different. Um, do you think it will have any effect or do you think that the, um, kind of, kind of just the fact that it's, that it's, as you said, what multiple language, uh, languages, it will, t- it will be lessened. Uh, I think, I think they're definitely going to need to focus. I think they would have to focus on the the partners within their country uh, of origin, possibly first and foremost. But I feel like a lot of European companies and corporations that have budget to invest in esports are likely looking at the entire European continent mm-hmm. uh, as a as a business focus. Um, and so, while they you know they can look locally, I think they can. Um, I think partnerships will come. You look at like a a professional soccer team, right? I mean, it's they have much more global exposure. Mm-hmm. But even if they're based in uh, La Liga or something, they have partners whose business model spans uh, multiple countries and or continents. Yeah, and you mentioned you know right right on us. You mentioned European soccer teams. Mm-hmm. I personally uh, would love to see some involvement similar to as we saw right now. You know, with with whether it's Infinite, which has some ties to traditional sports, or yep. One Hundred Thieves. We see you know these traditional sports teams being involved in esports and being part of the LCS. And so far, it has only have had have had great results. So I would love to see some 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 soccer teams get in. Um, question is what what teams they will be. Um, besides that, what type of you know uh, strategic partners would you love to see uh, be a part of of the European esports scene? Uh, depending upon how it's run, I think you know the budget airline industry over there. That's um, interesting. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of those. 
things where a lot of demographic information seems to think that the younger audience is less brand loyal on the uh, airline industry side and more price conscious, where you may see somebody like EasyJet or Ryanair um, who can fly from country to country to go watch events or or see your team in person um, at a low cost, maybe an interesting uh, opportunity for them to hit a new market. That's that that that's really interesting. I didn't even think of that, and that's a that's a great fit. I, I would say, um, specifically as uh, a lot of European, you know, being from Amsterdam myself, a lot of these uh, you know, European youth use these budget airlines to travel specifically in Europe. Mm-hmm. So kind of like buses, basically. Yeah. So this is a, it would be a really good fit. So moving on to our next story, just because. All, all of these four stories we have today are, are so big. Um, the second one is Tencent uh, fa- uh, franchises officially announced a league for China's top grossing mobile game, which is Honor of Kings, which is known in the U.S. as Arena of Valor, although uh, there's some minor differences between both. There are some uh, players that are uh, champions, you know, playable characters that are only available in China and some that are only available in the U.S., but they're very similar. So... Um, so there are going to be 12 teams uh, divided between Shanghai and Chengdu uh, for the 2018 spring and summer splits. Uh, they've brought in uh, three very big sponsors, Vivo, McDonald's, and Shanghai Pudong Development Bank. Uh, they'll be the main sponsors, and there are plans to increase the city list to eight by 2019 and potentially, which is interesting for us, introduce an international league. Um, so knowing that Allegiance is somehow you know involved in Arena of Valor, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk to me about the game in general and, and your thoughts on the league. Yeah, so uh, Allegiance is uh, one of the esports properties underneath Infinite Esports yes. and Entertainment, um, and they are in the uh, they are they do have an Arena of Valor team um, currently playing in a lot of the ESL tournaments. Um, I think this presents a really uh, great opportunity for mobile develop- mobile game growth and esports uh, growth in a mobile sense. Um, we've had a lot of, and we'll get to this later, but I think a lot of these mobile esports competitions haven't really had a, a full structure, and having a franchise league that can take the best elements um, that has already been, you know, the groundwork's already been laid in some sense for franchises with NALCS, and Overwatch League, and Tencent obviously has the investment money yes. and budget to be able to pull something together on a grand scale in China, which is the, uh, you know, it's a top grossing game there. It's played by millions. So yeah. um, I think it presents a really, really uh, interesting opportunity for this game to really, really blow up on a competitive level. It's I think it's a very casual, friendly game in China, um, but... When we've seen the uh, players from Allegiance play it against some of our people here at the office, mm-hmm. uh, you can definitely see the skill ceiling. Yeah. Um, you know, their their note about the international league will be it'll be interesting to see how they go about that. Uh, just because, like you said, the differences in the game, there are characters, um, and they may have to just decide on you know how to either mesh the two together, or they decide on one one format that's yeah. always played globally. So yeah, you, I think it's really interesting, and I think it's good to see them pick China mm-hmm. uh, to start off. Similar to how I how I love the fact that the 
start of the League of Legends franchising started with the US because here is a market that has a, a customer base that is loyal, yep. um, which especially, you know, uh, Arena Valor, Honor of Kings has in China. But secondly, there's also uh, a culture that supports this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, in China, um, as you mentioned, Honor of Kings is the most played game, period. Um, it's a mobile it's a mobile culture. But also, you know, fans show up to these events, especially just in Asia in general. I saw some pictures of a, of a you know, a large profile Arena Valor tournament in think it was malaysia i'm not i'm not 100 sure it was a southeast asian country and there were you know it was a filled venue and this is for a mobile game and this is outside of china so definitely very interesting to see and if this you know business proves to be successful in china mm-hmm. especially given the fact that um Tencent has partnered up with an American agency to build the game uh, out in the U.S. Hopefully, you know, by then in 2019, everything is ready for for things to pop in. So you mentioned Allegiance. I think it's Mm -hmm. a good time to kind of talk about the differences between the Optic brand Mm -hmm. and the Allegiance brand. I was. I, you invited me over at a at an esports conference in New York, and I heard uh, Ryan talk about this, and it was um, it was very good. It was a very um, it, it really the differences between the brands. I think mm-hmm. will be interesting for our audience that wants to know more. Uh, what what differentiate Allegiance versus Optic? Sure. So um, when we say Optic, we have two technically properties under that are Optic Gaming. We have Optic Gaming. Uh, LOL, which is our NALCS franchise, and then there's Optic Gaming, which is the team that competes in uh, Call of Duty, Counter-Strike, PUBG, Dota 2, Gears of War, and I believe that is it. It's a pretty good list. Um, Yes, it's a significant list. And then you have Allegiance, which, um, which focuses on Rocket League, Arena of Valor, Clash Royale, Smash Melee, and Injustice. And so um, what we want to do is we want to be able to provide some type of segmentation and differentiation between these brands so that when somebody is coming, when a a potential partner is coming into the esports space and wants to get involved, there are a variety of avenues and opportunities within our ecosystem that they can get involved in, whether if they want to focus on more um, family-friendly style games or a mobile game set, they can look towards Allegiance, right? Between Rocket League, um, you know, these two mobile games uh, and, and some of the fighting games, they have the ability to kind of get away from the realistic shooters, the red blood that some major corporations are a little bit scared mm-hmm. of. Um, and then you have, you know, the optic gaming side of the house, which has the realistic shooters. It has um, the history the lifestyle that is surrounding Optic. Um, it comes with a set of former pros and influencers and creators who can be utilized. And then the massive reach that Optic Gaming has via its social platforms and uh, and its YouTube page. So that's, that's really interesting kind of seeing that, um, as you mentioned, like, you know, Allegiance really is going to be kind of a more family-friendly brand in the broadest sense, because mm-hmm. I think... The, if you look at Optic, they're very family friendly by itself. If we're be, if we're being realistic, yes. Um, 
So brands just need to, you know, get, get uh, realize that. But obviously brands uh, have certain values that they mm-hmm. appreciate. Um, so going on to our next story, as we mentioned, Allegiance, which is going to play a, a vital part in this as well. So Supercell launches the global Clash Royale League with 16 teams from North America and the EU. So this got announced this morning. We're recording this on a Tuesday. And uh, the eight teams in North America include Clout9, TSM, Tribe Gaming, Immortals, NRG, Complexity, 100 Thieves, and CLG. The European division includes Fnatic, Misfits, SK Gaming, G2 Esports, Team Liquid, Team Kesso, Team Dignitas, and Allegiance. So divisions will also be organized in mainland China, the rest of Asia, and Latin America, which will be later. So each organization will be built from a team from more than 7,000 gamers globally who proved their worth in open competition this year. Um, and, uh, you know, Supercell declined to explain terms about uh, team participation, but sources said that teams were given financial invest- incentives and did not play- pay an entrance fee or franchise fee. Uh, franchise fee. So this is really interesting uh, because... I love the path to pro mm-hmm. and really seeing, you know, I, we, we meant, talked about this a few weeks ago, you know, basically if you won 50 or 40 games in Clash Royale, you got put into a certain draft and then they picked 7,000 people from there. And these, a lot of these, all of these basically will become pros. Um, so, you know, this is an exciting time for, for mobile esports. you know, talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how your brand fits into this. Sure. So, um, you know, the Allegiance brand, again, is is creating this family-friendly atmosphere, creating a sense of community within its own uh, following and fan base. And when you have an opportunity to be a part of something greater like that Supercell is doing with, with their players and, and giving amateurs a chance to really shine, I think it's great for esports as a whole. One of the wonderful parts about esports is the accessibility right mm-hmm. like anybody can get on there and be and and play and be behind a keyboard and it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from and i think with the rise of mobile gaming that cuts that down or that opens that up to even more people because you don't necessarily need a thousand dollar gaming pc you can have your phone and play at the highest level and compete um whether you're on the subway or you're at home or uh or walking the dog. Yeah, and in mobile gaming specifically, that's really accessible, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I really liked was the fact that in-game viewership, they were talking about it, that they're they're looking at ways to put that in the client. So if we're looking at the history of mobile gaming, Arena of Valor's viewership really jumped, like it doubled almost the moment, uh, or Honor of Kings, it's called in China, the moment they enabled in, in-game viewership. Mm-hmm. Um, so this could be huge for the Clash Royale League. I saw a lot of uh, the Team Kesso owner was already talking about how this could be really big. Um, some of the, uh, one of the Immortals, uh, the mobile GM of Immortals was talking about this. So this could be big for for, uh, for a league in general. And um, in any time you can work with a brand like Supercell, um, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... So you, we talked a little bit about mobile esports before in, in general. What do you think is necessary for the scene as a whole to to uh, to reach maturity? Well, I think we're I think it's getting there right now with with these two news stories. I think that really helps providing some structure uh, and a kind of a standard for how mobile esports competitions can be held. 
and to allow for somewhat programmatic viewing, as you'll see with when they set up their schedules, I think will help boost their viewership, grow their fan following. And like you said, the ability for in-game viewership, I think, is such a key piece for Clash Royale. Because if you're on there playing, uh, you literally would have to tap a button or go to a tab and be able to watch immediately. Mm-hmm. You look at what Overwatch League has done on the Blizzard launcher, the Battle.net launcher, where you have the ability to just click the glowing Overwatch League logo and you're automatically watching. I'm sure that's converted a lot of casual Overwatch players to at least check it out once and maybe they've gotten hooked and maybe they've continued to watch, which I think you look at the player base for these games and it's huge. And so if you can convert a even a small percentage of that to active viewers of your esports competitions, then, then you've won. And the other ability that the in-game viewership probably lends itself to is they can really modify a broadcast or um, add in partners or advertising pieces however they want because they're controlling it fully in-house. Exactly, because one of the challenges that mobile uh, mobile esports has had is that fans tend to, you know, they watch a lot more on mobile than the average esports fan because they're used to spending, you know, hours playing on mobile anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's a preferred device of choice a lot of times. So then you're, you basically, you know, you go on, on third party, so whether it's Twitch or YouTube, and you have a, a viewership experience, which might be good. Um, first, it's not optimized for mobile too often. I mean, obviously it is, but PC usually is, you know, still the the go-to. Yep. But secondly, as you mentioned, from a monetization perspective, it's really difficult because uh, it's a lot more difficult to 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 standardize that type of stuff through Twitch mm-hmm. or YouTube. And this really give this really can 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 kind of evade the biggest hurdle that mobile gaming has, which is monetization. Uh, bring in franchise leagues, announce for. Uh, you can have partners that are long-term, that are dedicated, that help the league grow. And at the same time, there are ways to, to utilize that. Um, so talking about partnerships and, 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 and new ventures, um, there was one story that really, you know, all these stories touch Infinite in some point, but there's one that is directly, uh, directly yours. So this is Infinite Esports, you know, extended a portfolio and snaps up six, Sector 6 apparel. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Sector Six is a kind of an esports lifestyle uh, apparel brand, um, and uh, you know this really puts in your esports organization having the two teams we talked about before, uh, the GG Esports Academy, Engage Esports, No Scope Media, and some others. We'll talk more about all of these sister brands uh, later on, but um, talk a little, talk a little bit about uh, Sector Six Apparel and, and this acquisition. Sure. So uh, the Sector Six apparel acquisition really helps to solidify and create a more robust um, portfolio of merchandise for all of our all of the properties underneath infinity sports entertainment and so whether that's creating apparel for the influencers that have their specific logo on it or creating um, you know some competition and pro gear based upon their various teams or with what what sector six can excel in is the more lifestyle apparel yeah so this is stuff that you can wear out and not necessarily feel 
um, like you're like you have a billboard for mm-hmm. gaming on your yes. chest, which I think has been somewhat of a concern for a lot of the, at least me particularly, for when I go out and I'm looking on you know certain websites to purchase esports or gaming apparel. It's very bold and very like, hey, look at me. This is an esports shirt mm-hmm. or this is a gaming shirt. Whereas I think a lot of the people, at least here at this group, are very uh, fashion forward and they have way more style than I do. And so they're looking for they're looking to create stuff that you could go out and wear out. And while it has hints of the esports lifestyle or gaming involved in it, it doesn't scream that. It looks more fashion. Uh, there's more fashion sense to it. Well, I was really excited with this acquisition uh, for two reasons. One. Um, I think gaming really is a culture, mm-hmm. and this really proves that. Um, it proves that um, you know we can have lifestyle and culture apparel. Secondly, I think, but more importantly, Optic and Infinite in general, you're you're not only selling esports, but more importantly, you're selling a lifestyle. You're selling yeah. culture. Everything, uh, everything surrounding everything you're doing is all about selling of this lifestyle. And what better way to do that is by selling fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really excited. Um, obviously, you can. There are different ways we can see partners in that. But I think what this is specifically interesting is that it's separate from that also because, as you mentioned, sometimes you don't want to be a billboard. So when you have the jersey, obviously you have the partners on there. Yeah. But when you're when you want to sell a hoodie, uh, sometimes you know it's just about the optic brand or the infinite brand in general. Um, so just quickly, um, I there were usually you know these four stories really were everything. But uh, there were three kind of interesting sponsorship stories. Um, we'll talk about all. Th- uh, we won't talk about these three just because we want to get into the general chat, which I think it will be very interesting. But just for our audience to kind of understand uh, the things we left out of the general conversation. So when looking at sponsorship, uh, Gfinity partnered up with men's fragrance brand Lynx. Uh, Gfinity is a, a third-party franchise league. Zippo uh, he uh, sponsored. Uh, Panda Global, which is a fighting game team, which is really interesting to see them, a fighting game uh, uh, team getting these sponsors. And finally, the NBA 2K League uh, in to deal with Dell and Intel uh, ahead of their draft, which is coming up tomorrow. Um, so let's move into to our second part. Yeah. Um, so as a few other of our guests, um, you, have an, you have an experience in a story that is broader than just the um, esports. Let's talk a little bit about your general kind of experience in your story and what led you to eventually make the jump into esports. Sure. So um, it probably started with the uh, my whole the whole reason I got here was probably from Super Smash Brothers Melee. So when that launched on the GameCube in 2001 or so, my friends and I played it like crazy. And we used to go up and down the East Coast to tournaments. And this was way back in the day. So I was losing to the likes of Ken and Mewtwo King before he was Mewtwo King. And all these guys from Deadly Alliance in New York who don't really play anymore, but they were the OGs of the day. And so I just really got into the whole esports scene at that time. Um, and then I went to NYU for my master's in sports business. And while there, stayed... Um, stayed in invested in the esports world, but really was focusing on another passion of mine, which was the traditional sports space and the sports business side of things. I never 
had the skill or the athleticism to compete as at a pro level in either side. So, um, so I wanted to work in the, in the sports industry if I could, but when I was there, uh, MLG was really rocking and rolling with Halo 2 and other games in about 07, 08. So I actually wrote my master's thesis on the rise of esports. Um, this was a decade ago, and at the time was somewhat laughed at uh, because it seemed like you know such a such a wild idea, right? That this could be the next big thing, um, but it had all the makings of uh, a traditional sport in the sense of these major leagues, it just was lacking cultural acceptance and social acceptance at the time, um, which we've seen now that, you know, we've, it's gotten that and it's become a huge thing. So, um, but I, I stayed on the tr- traditional sports side of things, did uh, multiple internships in New York with the New York Rangers and major league baseball and really honed my chops on sponsorship and partnership marketing, as well as fan development. Uh, and, uh, then the the all of Wall Street and the whole economic crash of about 08, 09 really uh, threw me for a loop. I just graduated, so I moved to Texas mm-hmm. to take a job down here uh, doing sports marketing for Chevrolet. And so I uh, worked on partnerships uh, for Major League Baseball and Youth Baseball, um, as well as some other bigger properties here in Texas, um, which eventually led to uh, working at an agency called Genesco Sports Enterprises, where I um, assisted corporate clients in their sports strategy and sponsorship deals. So um, working with, you know, blue chip brands in the motorsports space for the most Mm -hmm. part, as well as in baseball and basketball, Um, but also raising my hand about esports. And really, that was about 2015 or so where esports were starting to really gain, gain groundswell uh, in terms of exposure and activity. You saw mentions of it in ESPN, the magazine, uh, which had a dedicated issue. Uh, E-League's announcement really spurred a lot, of, uh, a lot of interest amongst the brands that Genesco worked with. And so I said, hey, I know about this. I've followed it. I used to compete with air quotes back in the day. Um, and so I can, you know, I can assist here. And so, um, we started working with a few brands to help them understand the space and educate them on what esports was, how they could get involved, what the fan base looks like, what other partners and brands were doing, both from an endemic and non-endemic side of things. And, um, we started to help some of those, some of those people build out their strategy. Um, and then since I was here in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, I met with the group uh, who was starting the Infinity Sports Entertainment um, organization and started to talk to them and loved the vision of what they were trying to create here, which was a more holistic approach to esports, something that could create structure and create almost a more of a movement um, and a uh, all-in-one shop rather than something that was just, you know, a, a fly-by-night organization. And so I made the move um, at the end of last year and, uh, you know, I'm happily, uh, 
happily here at uh, Infinity Sports with the Triggerfish Partnerships team. So that's really interesting. Um, specifically, the start of your background for me personally, just because I got my start in competitive gaming running melee tournaments no in Amsterdam. Yeah, and then I always thought, and this was five five and a half years ago, I wrote my undergrad thesis on the rise of esports, and I thought back, and I've I've said to a lot of people, I think I'm the first. So I won't say this from now on because I am definitely <laughs> you not. You can still say I'll still no, let you say it. No, 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 because uh, I'll be one of. Uh, so that's uh, so that's really awesome. Uh, yeah. And 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 just seeing your your um, your journey and 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 then everything coming together to infinite. Mm-hmm. So talk talk about infinite. Sure. Uh, what what is the vision? So our goal is to create structure and create an, create a system and organization that can benefit esports as a whole, not only the teams and core properties that are a part of Infinite Esports and Entertainment, like Optic Gaming, the Houston Outlaws, Allegiance, Obey Alliance, uh, etc., but really to help the players and the overall industry um, evolve from where it's been to where it can go. And that uh, that takes many forms. So underneath the Infinite Esports umbrella, we have things like the Performance Institute. Mm-hmm. And their focus is not only on the physical and mental training of esports professionals so that they can become better competitors, but it's also on the professional side of things. So they can become better people and they can be situated for careers in esports or outside of esports when their playing career may end. Um, Something that really hasn't been available to a lot of these players previously. I mean, they've been the ability to go into a caster role or analyst role afterwards, but there hasn't been formal training for those things, especially when they're missing out possibly on uh, high school or college education um, to play play competitively. And then we have the Good Game Esports Academy or GGEA for short, which is focused on training and finding, you know, those next level of esports stars, whether it's people in high school who want to pursue this as a career because they have the talent, or even providing structure to youth leagues around the country. So there may be kids out there who maybe aren't athletic, but want to participate or want to compete. And, you know, they can do that to help further just the whole esports industry and get more people interested in it and showcase the positives that come from it, whether it's teamwork, whether it's, you know, loyalty and dedication, um, or just even the communication aspect. I think that's something that's overlooked that people are just locked in on their computer, but you need to be a very good communicator to succeed, um, in a competitive set. So not only are we looking to, uh, have a very high level of competition on the playing field, but also to kind of create a better environment for all esports teams and uh, and players. Yeah, I love how how with Infinite, I'm really getting the idea that it's a, like a horizontal bet mm-hmm. on the industry as opposed to a vertical one. So like you're really touching on everything. Um, and you know kind of all you know a lifting tie a tie lifts all boats so rising tide lifts all boats so you're helping every part of your business as the industry grows so 
obviously, um, your main focus is Triggerfish. Mm -hmm. So uh, for those of, for those listeners that aren't familiar with Triggerfish, talk a little bit more about that. And then specifically, I know I know we have a, a few marketeers listening. Okay. So you know, if talking to them, you know, kind of a, you know the, the basics of like like what is it that Triggerfish can add to brands in the space? Sure. So Triggerfish is the partnerships arm for Infinite and all of its properties. And so we are a guide for brands who want to get involved in the esports space, whether that's um, with a competitive team or with one of the other properties within Infinity Sports, or even if they're just looking for an understanding of, uh, of how they can get exposure or accomplish their objectives, and it may not be with the properties under Infinite, we are looking to just help make sure people and brands who want to get involved get involved the right way. Because I think it's, while it's not the Wild West as much anymore, mm -hmm. I think there's, it can be overwhelming for people who don't necessarily understand the space. And so we're a guide, but we're also um, somebody who can help you find the right partnership um, in, in esports and, and whether that's with Infinite or outside of, his, of our group. So generally, you know, how do you approach partnerships like this? So let's say a brand comes to you, mm -hmm. um, especially because you represent such a large portfolio of, of brands in the space. How do you approach this? Well, we look at kind of, we, we listen a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to understand what their objectives are in to get into, for getting into esports. You know, are they just getting involved because it's the, buzzword of of the times and they feel like they need to be interested or there are certain objectives that they want to hit and once we are able to understand what their strategy is or their business objectives then we can find the right group within our our group here at infinite or elsewhere that we think could be the right fit for them what makes infinite unique is the fact that you guys are one of few teams that are both in in both of the big franchise esports league that mm -hmm. being the NALCS and the OWL I think it's together with Cloud9 yep. uh, so you really you know you have the Optic brand which is new to the to the uh, NALCS or LCS in general and then you have the Houston Outlaws which is a whole new brand by itself um, so how, talk a bit about that general experience you know what, it, what has it added to your brand and what are some of the challenges well I think it's the first thing that has come to mind when, when we announced those partnerships was the the fans from traditional Optic who embraced the move. So Optic Gaming traditionally is a Call of Duty-based uh, group and organization that's branched out into other, other games, but a lot of esports is very tribal where they'll only follow, let's say, the game that they play or the game that they, they watch religiously. But when these these new franchises were announced, there was a, a lot of great public support from the Green Wall about getting us getting involved in those two leagues and to really see that there were a bunch of fans from the Green Wall who were interested in League of Legends or Overwatch and were super pumped that Opta Gaming and Infinity Sports was going to be a part of those. Yeah, and... and you know, really a, um, a success story in both, just from, a, as you mentioned, from a brand building perspective. Obviously, these things are long-term plays, mm -hmm. so um, the real deal has yet to, to remain to be seen, but but kudos to you, especially, and you know, kudos to the NoScope team, which is your content yep. arm, because 
the content has been stellar. Thank you. Um, and and it's and it's you know especially I think I was talking to someone someone who was looking to invest in the space, and they said you know what we really liked is that these the new like the the traditional sports teams which they still consider you to be part of based on on the investment mm-hmm. uh, have really brought in their expertise and i i said well listen when you're talking about things like optic you're talking kind of more about the you know esports arms that are bringing their kind of content and lifestyle expertise to the space yep and and i'm very appreciative of that well, thank you yeah we're very proud of those uh, of the content that noscope put, puts out and uh you know the the docu-series kind of uh, long-form content that optic has been known for with vision we've transferred you know, similar pieces of that over into the outlaws and optic LOL. And it's really well received. I think it's provided, I mean, it's stellar stuff. I mean, the production values are unbelievable. So you guys have, you know, you guys are part of a bigger trend, uh, Mm -hmm. meaning that the, the, the state of Texas has really, um, has really expanded. I mean, we, we, we now have two overwatch teams out of here. We have, I think three, kind of big uh, esports teams uh, coming here, you know, being you guys, Envious mm-hmm. and Complexity. Yep. Uh, and this and obviously Houston by itself has gotten, you know, a large uh, large presence because of the Houston Outlaws. So you just did a tour. Yep. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, how do you, especially coming, you know, being here for a while and seeing it slowly bubble up. How, you know, talk about Texas as an, as a state for esports. Um, and then, you know, maybe in the end, uh, kind of tie that in with the tour, because I think that will be interesting for our audience to uh, sure. know more about. Yeah, I mean, this past year or so, Texas and and Dallas-Fort Worth in particular has really exploded, like you said, with the three three properties coming in. Um, it, living here f- for almost a decade now, um, you would get the sporadic events or a lot of the local events, but every so often ESL would show up or a Call of Duty World League. MLG Dallas yep. is always a MLG staple. Dallas, yep. And then, uh, you know, you have things like QuakeCon, which has been going on here forever. Um, and then, you know, two years ago, DreamHack came down to Austin and has continued that uh, through this year. Um, and so hopefully that continues. I think it's always been one of those for me somewhat forgotten regions i guess you have like east coast west coast kind of especially on the fighting game scene and you almost forget about texas even though it has dallas and houston two of the largest cities in the in the country um but for me i think the dallas fort worth and austin are becoming more and more focused on bringing in tech companies Mm -hmm. and i think that alone when you look at I mean, Austin's like the Silicon Valley of the South or something, I think it's called. Um, one of the first Google Fiber cities. I think Dallas, I think Texas as a, as a whole um, is, f- is focused more on the future and it creates a great opportunity for esports to really blossom here. Um, and we've seen a lot, a lot of support locally, whether it's here or um, throughout the rest of Texas for just esports in general. I think the announcements that have come from from us and from Envy, as well as from Complexity coming into their state, I think Texans are extremely proud of that. And it's just very cool not being a Texan originally, but it's very cool to see the local 
markets get behind um, what is traditionally considered a sport slash entertainment medium that lives online, right? You you don't necessarily think of esports as something that, I mean, it translates on site for large events, but will it create a groundswell of actual fans who will care about a local team like they do for traditional sports? And that was the big gamble of the Overwatch League, right? Was will will fans like the Houston Outlaws because they're from the Houston area? Um, and so we have, and our team, our marketing team has done a phenomenal job creating a band, the Band Together campaign. So for the Outlaws, the Band of Outlaws, banding together and kind of doing this grassroots marketing tour. And so in between stage two and stage three, we had the Houston Outlaws players come into the state and we did a three-city tour with Houston, Austin, and San Antonio uh, to allow the fans and the local support groups to meet these players and do autograph signings. And um, I think each each spot, the lowest attendee number we had in line was about 700. Wow. We had 1,000 in Houston show up uh, to the point where the place we were at closed and the players were like, you know what? There's still like 100-something people outside. Let's just go out there and we'll just go down the line do, signing autographs, taking selfies. I mean, it was unbelievable to see the support from the local fans. And just the um, the the outlaws, really the players, really have have become kind of spokespersons for the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. Just this morning, you know, on the Today Show or with Megyn Kelly, uh, we saw two of your players um, represent the the Outlaws brand, and 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 that was that was really an awesome moment. That was a beautiful interview, and really shows that they they were well spoken. They they if if they could explain what esports is and the value of that to a you know a a middle-aged uh, person who mm-hmm. doesn't know anything about it and who still is complex by the fact that people even do this and for for amateur wise um, that shows a lot about about how these how these guys have grown yeah i i think our you know our players on the outlaws um they're not only great competitors but just really wonderful ambassadors for the game uh jake and raucous who are on um you know they they and everybody else on the team really kind of exude the 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 values that we want in players um you know whether it's just not only are they great in the game but they are just really wonderful people they care about their fans they're very personable they're great communicating the the positives of esports and i think it was wonderful to see the, the crossover to a more public um, showcase of what esports is and how it's benefiting the youth. I think, unfortunately, we see a lot of negative yes. news about gaming, which is, could be somewhat unfounded or like A lot of unfounded. ignorance, yes, I think. Yeah. Totally. And so the more, the more that we can use our players or any players to showcase really the good pieces of esports and, and video games in general i think the better off you know uh, the society is as a whole so ending our conversation um there's one piece of the infinite puzzle that we haven't touched upon and that was a big story on our episode last week if i remember correctly your announcement of uh 
of the, your partnership in building a stadium in Arlington mm-hmm. together with that local municipality. Um, so, to, you know, this is the icing on the cake. Talk a little <laughs> bit about that and, and your plans uh, with them. Sure. So Esports Stadium Arlington is uh, an awesome venture for the team here, um, specifically Engage, which is our events team and the city of Arlington. I think you look at what the city of Arlington has done with the entertainment district over there between Globe Life Park, where the Rangers play, or AT&T Stadium, uh, where the Cowboys play. They are very forward focused and looking at the future. They understand that esports is a viable um, medium for for the younger generation, um, and and they wanted a space and a venue that they can call their own uh, to bring large events, semi large events to to their city and kind of help one their economy, but also to kind of showcase their city on a global scale and it's the going to be the largest east dedicated esports stadium in the u.s um it's going to be extremely high tech where i know a lot is still being worked out but um that and unfortunately i can't talk about a lot right now but the the drawings and renderings that i've seen um i mean it's it's uncanny what the plan is going to be and I am, am super excited for announcements to come here down the road, um, which which should be coming soon. But I know Arlington is is very much behind it, and I think it's great to see a city embrace it, um, and not just for a one-off event or a tournament, but really like let's build something here that can be a long-standing piece that can drive uh, events from around the globe uh, to come there. And I think. What's, what someone helped is uh, University of Texas Arlington, or UTA, is mm-hmm. down the street. Um, they have a very dedicated esports group internally. Um, they're very good competitively, and I think that opened up a lot of eyes as well in the city of what you know what can be accomplished because of joint ventures between our group here, the university, and the city to really blow out this stadium. Yeah, and that's... I- didn't even think of that as a possibility. So that's that's really interesting, especially if you're looking for you know continued events and mm-hmm. activations. That's really nice. So thank you for coming on, Chris. Where can people follow you, and where can people find out more about Triggerfish and Infinite? Sure, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at at dapps, um, d e a p p s. And uh, if you want to find out more about Infinite, you can go to infinite.gg or triggerfish.gg for more on Triggerfish partnerships. We'll put those links in the description box. Uh, This was another episode of Esports Boom, this time out of Dallas. Um, Next week, we're back in New York with a a very cool guest. uh, So we're looking forward to that. 